Well, today our scripture lesson is the gospel within the gospel. It's St. Luke chapter 15, and um, let's share in God's good word together. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Have you ever looked at someone else's life and thought, Really? How in the world did they deserve all of that? What did they do? Now, we would never say it out loud, of course, but haven't you felt, well, maybe after a long, tough day at work or at school, that God is just too good to some other people and not quite good enough to you? New Testament scholar Alan Culpepper says it this way, Typically, we want mercy for ourselves and justice for others. But the stories Jesus tell us in Luke 15 call us to celebrate with God because God has been merciful, not only to us, but to others also, even those we would not have accepted ourselves into our fellowship. The three stories Jesus tells about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the loving father are not aimed at calling sinners to repentance, although it's in the story. Really, no, it's not about that. They are aimed really at us, us religious folk, calling us to join the celebration of what God does for everyone and not just for some. We are in our third week of grown-up Bible school, and our teaching this week can be difficult for kids and grown-ups alike. Maybe especially for grown-ups because we know too much and how unfair life can be. But here's the warning, friends, to the Pharisees then and to us today. Those who find God's mercy offensive cannot celebrate with the angels in heaven when a sinner repents. And we don't want to miss out on heaven because we're so upset about who else God lets in. Friends, heaven is where what God wants done is done, and heaven is where mercy and grace reign. Heaven is where we want to be when our hearts are right. So if this is your first week with us online, let me catch you up on where we've been the last two weeks in our sermon series, Grown Up Bible School. Tuesday night will be our first night of Bible school, and in this series, we're letting you know, as adults, what we're teaching the children, but we're letting you know the full story, not just the parts that we're going to share with the kids, because some of the Bible, most of the Bible, is very grown-up stuff. So on night one, we're going to talk about who is Jesus, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own. It's out of John 10, verse 14. You see, Jesus is the one who knows us completely and accepts us unconditionally. Jesus knows everything about you and loves you anyway, and there's nothing you can do about it. On the second night, Wednesday, night two, we're going to ask the kids, well, where do you belong? And the answer is, of course, we all belong with Jesus in community. We belong together. It's not good for us to be alone. With Jesus in community is right where God wants us to be. This is God's will. See, God doesn't want anyone lost, not one. My favorite scripture in all the Bible is 2 Peter 3, 8. Not a lot of people choose that one, but for me, this is what it's all about. That God doesn't want anyone lost, not one. He's giving everyone space and time to change, to turn our lives towards Him, to receive the goodness and love and grace of Jesus. As you know, Pastor Brandon preached the first two weeks, and one of the things that he said to me that I think is just spot on, he says this, we are a particular people 
from a particular place, who serve a God of all people and all places. Isn't that good? He's exactly right. We are, of course, a particular place uh, and a particular people right here in Edmond, but we serve a God of all time, all people, all places. And we celebrate that. And then on our last night of Bible school, Thursday night, night three, we're going to ask the kids, well, how can you make a difference? How can you be like Jesus? How can you be like the good shepherd? How can you go out and make a difference in the world? And you say, well, what, what is God calling us to do? Each and every night, we're going to work on our memory verse from John 15. It says this, love each other as I have loved you. We say that with me. Love each other as I have loved you. And all three nights, we learn this basic truth. I can trust God. And you know what the kids are going to say after that? No matter what. All three nights, we learn this basic truth. Say it with me. I can trust God no matter what. And how does God love? Jesus tells us through these three parables about the lost. So we have to first ask the question, well, Who are the lost? And in Jesus' day, there were two distinct groups of people. The actively religious, chosen people of God. And the not chosen. Everyone else, known as sinners. There was definitely an in-group and an out-group. The Jewish people of that time understood themselves, and, and even still today, as God's chosen people. And those who walked in the way that leads to life, they were in. Everybody else was out. And so the Gospel of Luke starts this story this way. It's actually three stories all rolled up into one. And here's the context. Here's the setup. It says this. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners, yep, there's group one, not the chosen ones. They were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, group two, the up and in, they were grumbling about that and saying, this fellow, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Like, ooh, gross. What's he doing? He's not supposed to do that. Outside, inside. And then Jesus tells three stories about that while the insiders overhear what he's saying. And Jesus, in his stories, pokes them pretty good. So parable one is this. God is the good shepherd who searches for his sheep. Well, this good shepherd is a wonderful image that would have had lots and lots of connections for the Jewish people. You might remember King David was a shepherd boy, and he was the one that saved the people from the Philistines. So this is the good shepherd. You might think of Moses. Um, After he left Egypt, he was a shepherd. He went out and tended flock. So this good shepherd imagery was something that would have really uh, rang true for the people that were listening to him. So the scripture says, Jesus told him this parable. Which one of you, he's going to use a a reference that they all understand, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Not, Not just for a little bit, but until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and does what? He rejoices, of course, because it is hard out in the wilderness looking for sheep. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. Is there anything better, anything sweeter than having your friends come along and celebrate with you what you're celebrating? Rejoice with me, he says, for I have found my sheep that was lost. When I look in my Bible, I have a study Bible, and I I hope you have one or will get one or will look online. The footnotes are very, very helpful to me. 
Uh, the footnotes are created by, in, in my Bible, about 30 scholars. And so I want to share with you some of the things I'm learning uh, as I read these stories. One of them is this, that this parable illustrates God's concern for those who lack ability to find him. God seeks them. So what we're supposed to learn about the lost sheep is that the sheep can't find the shepherd on their own. The lost sheep is never going to, you know, you know, sniff out the sheep, the, the shepherd. You never see a story like that. It's the shepherd who finds the sheep. And that's good news for us. Because here's the truth. And, th- and this, is, this is hard. I mean, it may not even be something that, that you're ready to accept. And it's this. The friends, we don't find God. God finds us. In our tradition and Methodism, we call that provenient grace. That God is working well before we're even aware of it. And even our ability to say yes to God is a gift from God. We say this with me. We don't find God. God finds us. Thank God. And even when we cannot find God in our life, when we don't know where he is, when we don't sense his presence, we can still trust God. Why? No matter what. No matter what. When we sense God, we can praise him. And when we don't sense him, we can still trust him. And thank Him, no matter what, even if we're a lost sheep. You see, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, searches for the one that is lost until He finds it. God is searching for you this day. Whenever you're watching this, whenever you're worshiping, God is searching for you. God is wooing you. God is calling you. God is looking for you. There's no better news in all the world than to know that we have a God who loves us and searches for us until he finds us. So again, in, in this story, it says this, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Man, that is powerful. Until he finds it. And so I want to ask you, when was a time in your life when you couldn't find God? When you were lost? Think about that. And then, of course, there's a following question. How did God find you? How did God find you? Well, when I was a little boy, uh, my dad and I would go to a place called TGNY. My dad found me at the TGNY. Now, if you're younger than I am, you may not even know what that is um, or what I'm talking about. Well, back in the old days, there was a store called TGNY. And it looked something like this um, all around here in Oklahoma. And the thing about TGNY is that the shelves were about this tall. And so if you were an adult, you know, five, nine or above, you could look over the shelf and see the other side. And so my dad and I, we went to TGNY and somehow as a, about a three, four year old, I became enamored with something. Maybe I think it was a little uh, army guy with a, with a parachute. I think that's what it was. Um, and things like matchbox cars or Hot Wheels or who knows what. And as a little one, you know, as three-year-olds will do, I started to wander. I was like, ooh, shiny. Oh, neat. Oh, toys. And I walked away from my dad. Well, if you know my dad, he is very much a person who believes in natural consequences. And so rather than picking me up or uh, redirecting me, he just let me go. 
And as I got further and further and further away from him, as really um, I got lost and I didn't even know it, my dad just stepped around the other side of the big shelving at the TGNY and he watched me as I played with this and then I played with that and I got interested in something else and then something else. And then I realized, I looked up and my dad was not around. I was completely lost. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where my family was. And I started to cry. I was bewildered through no fault of anyone else but my own. By my own choices, I was completely lost and alone. And of course, my dad was like, hey, Mark, you, you know, don't worry, don't worry. And he comes around, he picks me up and we go home and I learned my lesson and I wandered less from that. Not that I'm advocating that as a parental technique. But that was my story. And God, even when we think we're lost, God is still watching us. God is looking for us. God is protecting us even when we don't feel it, even when we don't know it. And so the scripture says this in verse 7, Just so, I tell you, Jesus does, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now remember, there are Pharisees and scribes overhearing this, and there are tax collectors and sinners overhearing this. And the tax collectors and sinners are like, say what? Jesus says what? More joy in heaven over us than over the scribes and the Pharisees? And the scribes and the Pharisees are saying, say what, Jesus? Are you schooling us? Are you dogging us? And the, the sinners and the tax collectors, you mean we're in? Like you would actually accept us and love us? And there was a lot of tension growing in the stories. And Jesus doesn't leave it there. He goes on. He says, well, in case you missed it the first time, let me tell you again. Parable number two. Now, according to my footnotes again, this parable intensifies the picture of human helplessness and divine concern. Isn't that the book on us? We really are helpless. We're, we're not gods, we're mortals. We're just humans. And we are helpless in the universe when it comes to the big things. Like we're, we're not creating planets or stars like God does. No. But God loves us. There's a divine concern about each and every one of us, about you. And so, uh, later on in parable number two, it says this. What woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me! There it is again. Rejoice with me! That which is lost is found. Rejoice! For I have found the coin that I lost. Now, a lost coin in that day was worth roughly a day's wage. Um, You think about that. A day's wage. Uh, Around here, where our church is located, um, a lot of folks are doing very well these days. And so I had our business manager, uh, Jeff Hedrick, uh, do some research for me. And in Edmond, that would be like losing $504.82 somewhere in your home. Would you look for that? I would look for that. If I lost $504 in cash and 82 cents, whether it was in a check or in cash, you better believe I'm looking for that. And how do you think you would feel when you found it? It would be awesome. You would celebrate. I mean, you might go out to dinner. You might go, whew, I can't believe that I lost that. I'm so glad that I found it. We have, uh, you know, it's going to do a lot of good for our family. Jesus says this, just so I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And see, the thing is, you're more important than sheep. You're more important than 500 bucks. You're important to God and he's looking for you, he's searching for you, and he's calling you to himself. William Barclay um, is a theologian and um, 
he lived uh, in the 1900s, and he says this, The joy of God and all of the angels when one sinner comes home is like the joy of a home when a coin which had stood between them and starvation has been lost and is found. You see, we have a difficult time reading these stories in our context some 2,000 years later and in, let's be frank, really uh, quite a bit of affluence. We're some of the richest people on the planet and of all time who've ever lived, right? We can heat our homes when we're cold and we can cool them down when we're hot and we can drive or fly or go to space these days. That's an amazing thing. But in Jesus' day, it's very possible and quite likely that to lose one of these coins might have meant that Your family wasn't eating that day. Maybe your family wasn't eating that week. And what Jesus is saying is that you're even more important than that. You're even more important than the ability to feed your family. He loves you more than that. God loves you and will take care of you and protect you. And so what I want you to know is that even when we've lost all our money and we don't know where our next meal will come from, say it with me, we can trust God No matter what. No matter what. And I hope you never have to know that. I hope you never go to bed hungry and don't know where your next meal is coming from. Although about two-thirds of the world's population does. Living on $2 a day. But I hope you never know that. But if you do, know this. God is still watching out for you. And God will provide for you. And for those of us who have, more than likely, in actuality, absolutely, God is calling us to share. So that's parable two. Parable three is this. It illustrates God's acceptance of those who rebel and return. Again, from my footnotes. So this parable, it's often known as the prodigal son uh, or the angry older brother, but really it's about the loving father. And it's about God's acceptance of those who rebel and return. Something that in those days, they never thought of God like that. It was really unthinkable to think that God would receive someone who dismissed him or intentionally did the wrong thing. So the last parable is this. This is the the climax of the story. This is the big finish. It's much more important than the sheep, much more important than the coin. We're now to you and me. We're to people, to the relationship between God and his people. So Jesus said this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he did. He divided his property between them. Now, what you need to know about this story that you kind of have to read between the lines is that the son treated his father as if he were dead already. He disrespected him with this request. It was both irregular and outlandish. It's basically like, hey, you know I'm going to get this anyway. You're as good as dead to me. Just go ahead and give it to me now. You can hear the disrespect in that. Just how terrible that would be if someone you loved said that to you. Now, To get back to see what this really means, you have to go all the way back to the Torah, to Deuteronomy, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in the law, you're going to find this, that the firstborn son's right is to two-thirds, and the younger brother's right was to one-third. And it was an inalienable right, above family rivalry or preference. It didn't matter if the dad liked the younger son more or less. He couldn't do anything about it. He was only going to get a third. The oldest always got two-thirds. It was the law of God, and there wasn't any choice about it. That's just the way it was. And so Deuteronomy 21 explains it like this. He must acknowledge as firstborn the son of the one who is disliked, giving him a double portion of all that he has, since he is the first issue of his virility, the right of the firstborn is his. 
Firstborn always gets double. Now, the scripture goes on, the law goes on, and then there was an incredibly severe second law concerning sons as well. And it just follows right out of this in verse 18. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son, which we're about to find out is the case in this story, who will not obey his father and mother, who does not heed them when they discipline him, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out of the elders of his town at the gate of that place. And they shall say to the elders of the town, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. Stone him to death. That's how important this shame honor culture was at that time. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. You you can't have this disrespect in your community. And all Israel will hear and be afraid. That's what you did to disrespecting sons. But even so, the son could not control himself and was left with a life and death decision. He takes his third and he gets out of town. And a few days later, the scripture says, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. Dissolute living? That drunken and glutton thing? Yeah. If he goes back, He's likely to be stoned. So, what's he to do? He goes and he hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Now, if you're a Jewish boy, feeding a pig is the worst of the worst because it's your your culture that you don't eat pork. So that's terrible. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. No, because if I am, I might get killed. Treat me like one of your hired hands. That's the smart move. I I don't want to starve to death. I don't want to get stoned to death. So I'm going to go back and just work at the farm, kind of undercover. You know, nobody's going to notice And I'm not going to go back to the law in Deuteronomy. I'm just going to save my skin because it's all been all about me all along. It's still all about me and I have figured this out. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you've been someone like that. See, in the first century, it was undignified for an older man to run. But Jesus says that's exactly what God does for us. He runs to us. And he shows us this through the love of the father in the story. So the young son, he sets off and he goes to his father. But while he was still far off, maybe the most beautiful words in all the scripture, while he was still far off, the father is leaning over the fence, looking into the sunset, hoping, is that my son? Could that be him? Is a little silhouette coming to him? Is that it? And so he runs to him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion He wasn't mad at him. He wasn't angry with him. He wasn't trying to punish him. He wasn't going to stone him. He had compassion and he ran and he put his arms around him and he kissed him. He didn't see who cared, who saw. He didn't didn't care about what anybody thought. He simply ran to his son and loved him and he kissed him, which was a sign of forgiveness. You see, the father is waiting, watching, and saving treasure for you. God always has good for you. That's God's character. 
So the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, shh, 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 shh. no, no, no. He said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Friends, you notice this? The son has left him, but he has saved all his stuff. He saved his little shoes. So in hopes that the day he comes back, he will put them right back on his feet. He saved a robe. He saved the family ring. And he goes and he says, we're having steak tonight, friends. The fatted calf. We're going to kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And then as is now, when you have a big celebration, it normally included meat. Many of the meals did not include meat. Still the case around a lot of the world. You simply can't afford it. It was a big deal to slaughter a calf and have a good meal. So they did the best they could to celebrate. But then there's the older brother. Now you'll remember the older brother has twice what the little brother has. He has the double portion and the little brother has nothing at this point. So really the older brother has everything. But even that, the older brother was sorry that the younger brother returned. He didn't have compassion. He wasn't excited to see his little brother. He's like, oh boy, here we go again. You know how he is. He's just going to be a pain in my side the rest of my life. Scripture says it like this. Now his older elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and asked, well, what's going on? And he replied, well, your brother's come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's gotten him back safe and sound. Then the older brother becomes angry and refuses to go in. He's not going to have anything to do with that brother, that party. You going to throw a party for him? I mean, really? After what he's done? After what he's cost the family? The shame, the disrespect, the financial loss? Well, if you're the little brother, there's nothing that could be more beautiful than be accepted, not rejected. And that's the beautiful thing about heaven, friends. There's no rejection there. Where we are accepted by a loving Father who runs to us. So let me ask you, have you ever had something really beautiful happen to you or for you and have others hate you for it? I hate to be the one to tell you this. You have. You may not know it, but you have. That's just how people are. Petty. Jealous. Angry. But watch what the father does. So the father comes out and he begins to plead with the older brother. He's like, this this is not right. You can't be out there when your brother's here. Like, come on. But he answered his father, listen, old man. Right? His, his father's doing his very best to reconcile both boys. And he says, no, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave. Really, like a slave? Nope, you own everything, kid. Let's, let's not, <laughs> let's reframe this for a second. You haven't been working like a slave. You've been working like a business owner. I've been working like a slave for you. Not true. And I've never disobeyed your command. Probably not true. Yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, he says, came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him? For him? Come on, Dad. An ancient Jewish story goes like this. The Lord appeared to a hardworking farmer and granted him three wishes. It only had one condition, that whatever the Lord did for the farmer would be given double to his neighbor. So, the farmer, hardly believing his good luck, wished for a hundred cattle. And immediately, he received a hundred cattle. 
And he was overjoyed until he saw that his neighbor had 200 cattle. So, his second wish, he wished for 100 acres of land. And again, he was delighted with joy until he saw that his neighbor had 200 acres of land. And rather than celebrating God's goodness to him, the farmer could not escape feeling jealous and slighted because his neighbor always received more. Finally, the hardworking farmer asked for his third and final wish, that God would strike him blind in one eye. And God wept. The Bible says that a person who says they love God and hates their neighbor is a liar. Jealousy and comparison steal our joy and ruin our lives. Don't fall for that trap. Jesus finishes the third and final story with these words in verses 31 to 32. Then the father said to him, Son, son, you can see the compassion of the father for both boys. Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And that is absolutely the case. The older son has it all. It's not going back to the younger brother. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. You see, whoever God calls son or daughter is our brother and sister. That's the way it works. It's not up to us, it's up to God. So whoever God calls son or daughter is our brother and sister. Professor Culpepper says it like this, The question posed by the parables is whether or not we will join in the celebration. But to celebrate with God, one must also share in God's mercy. If we want to be a part of the party, we have to be people of mercy and grace and compassion. So, again, what we're going to teach the kids, even when we cannot fathom God's mercy, say it with me, we can trust God no matter what. Even if we don't understand what God is doing for someone else, it doesn't matter. We can trust God no matter what. You see, Jesus came to earth so that we could see the immeasurable love of God. People thought God was far off and angry and mean-spirited. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you've seen the Father, the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And of course, Jesus proves this at the end of his life on the cross. He proved it all through his living and even proved it in his dying. Later in the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, Jesus uh, is described, the end of his life is described this way. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man's done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, that's, that's quite an ask hanging on the cross, about to die, having done nothing good that anybody knows of. Oh, oh, and by the way, Jesus, can I go to heaven with you? I mean, really, that, I mean, think about the audacity of that ask. And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes, you're welcome. Yes, you can come. You asked, you can come. I'm running to you. I love you. And that's really pretty much the last thing Jesus did. Scripture concludes, it was now about noon 
And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He forgave the thief on the cross. He promised him heaven, and then he died. And you and I are here today because we celebrate that he didn't stay dead. He's not a martyr. He's a savior. He's the savior of the world, and he is raised. And he loves you right where you are. So, you may not know everything about Jesus but you can trust him. Say it with me. No matter what. No matter what, friends, you can trust Jesus because he loves you. And we know that because of the cross and the resurrection. So our action step for this week is trust God, not just with your forgiveness, but with everyone else's also. Don't second guess what God is doing in somebody else's life. It's none of your business. If God forgives someone that you're having a hard time forgive, get out of the way. God is doing something good. Celebrate with them. Celebrate with what God is doing wherever you see it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.